doctor, Ken Alabeck, who I just told him, it's him and Charlie Duke, the guy that walked on the moon, and Dr. Alabeck. These are my two. This is the, the apex of guests. Dr. Alabeck works for Locust Fermentation Solutions, but you have a, a, a an insanely detailed past. And for everybody listening that is unaware, uh, Dr. Alabeck was, uh, was plucked from his doing well as a physician to work in the Soviet bioweapons program. You were the first deputy director of Biopreparat. You defected to the United States. You uh, shed light on what the Soviet Union was doing. And you have now been working at uh, Locust Fermentation Solutions using your knowledge to, to do good in the world. You have published five papers on, uh, on the causes of autism. And you use your knowledge to create biosurfactants and it's, to me, it, there's almost a biblical aspect to it. It's the from swords to plowshares, right? It's like using the ICBMs, and then we took the nukes off and we started putting satellites on them. I think it's the most beautiful evolution of, um, from what you were conscripted to do to what you are doing now. But as I told you before this, my guests aren't here to listen to me. They wanna hear from you. So Dr. Albeck, Please introduce yourself, sir. It's always uh, difficult for me. Uh, difficult for me just to make an introduction, okay? Because okay, okay. You, know, uh, you can tell much about yourself. Let me say, or you can have something pretty short. You know, just uh, maybe just in order not not to talk much about my background. I would uh, tell about myself. I was born in 1950. Mm -hmm. Uh, graduated from uh, a military medical institution in 1975, uh, became a military physician, and you know, maybe because I was a good student, a military student, I was selected just to work for the Soviet Union's uh, offensive biological weapons program. Mm -hmm. I spent uh, 17 years uh, working for the, uh, for the program. Uh, first, uh, I was a junior scientist and when i decided to leave the program i was already the first deputy director of the program 17 years from lieutenant of medical services to colonel and uh, i mean from a junior uh, scientist to the scientific director of the entire program and in 1992 uh, to me it became clear uh, that it became uh, much earlier, I would say, in 1990, 1991, I realized that all our talks about the American program were not true. Um, because I had a chance to discuss with people who uh, led some uh, intelligence and are trying to get information about uh, the American biological weapons program. And suddenly I found out uh, that the program was shut down in 1972 or 1971, and it was so horrible to me because I thought, okay, I was working to protect the Soviet Union against uh, American aggression using, using uh, biological weapons. And suddenly I realized, okay, okay there is no aggression, <laughs> there is no weapon. And whatever people say now, I mean, because people try, let me say, to create stories, a kind of conspiracy theories about American biological weapons program, about some facilities, 
around the world. Everything's untrue. I know this as a fact. It was the first, uh, I mean, a kind of first thought to me I came in 1991. I realized, okay, I'm a physician and uh, I was working for the program just uh, because of one particular case, just to defend my country mm -hmm. uh, from the United States, from the United States aggression. And suddenly I realized I, I was stupid. I mean, just because for many years I was doing this work, I mean, just uh, developing something against against of non-existent threat. Yes. Because, and uh, in 1991, I came to inspect some American facilities. I was uh, leader of a technical part, uh, visited for facilities uh, here in the United States. And to me, it was absolutely obvious. The program existed before, but by the time we came, it was already uh, terminated. Uh, my calculation showed it was terminated about 20 years ago the time. Mm -hmm. When I came back uh, very next week or in two weeks, uh, I wrote a report, I resigned the mission and became uh, a jobless person uh, in at the end of January or February of uh, 1992. That was my story. And in 1992, I came to the United States. Uh, it's a long story. I mean, it's uh, amazing. My book, I never described it and say how it happened. It was, I mean, the story by itself. Yes. Because it's uh, one of, I would say, even my friends. Uh, he was a colonel uh, and uh, a KGB colonel. He said, okay, we know that you are uh, thinking about going to the United States, but keep in mind uh, a probability for you to, to get to the States alive is very, very low. Cool. Yeah, and okay, okay in, in this case, and he said second, because it's maybe because of uh, current situation, or current uh, situation, he, you are able to go by yourself, for example, just for a trip, but you would never be let taking your family along. But you know, just I found a way, let me say, to go uh, to the States with the entire family. That is... I, I, I can't, I was born in the United States in 1990. Like, I can't comprehend, I can't comprehend any of that. You know, I, all of my... I, I can tell you a short part of a story. Okay. Uh, even without getting into detail, I knew it was uh, some surveillance. I mean, just because I, yeah. I saw some cars following me. Yeah. And because I already lost, let me say, my credibility to... Uh, to Soviet generals and, and uh, I was going but I already knew I would go to the United States uh, I was going from uh, uh, my I mean my parents town Almaty in Kazakhstan came to Moscow very same night I went to uh, a railroad station got on the train and I left uh, for one of the Baltic countries it was a kind of long trip, let me say, step by step, and just, I never knew whether it, it was my last day of life, let me say. I thought, uh, you know, but I was absolutely sure uh, if they decide to kill me, uh, they, uh, they would just kill me, but wouldn't touch my kids. It was a kind of uh, relief for me that uh, I'm the only one who would, uh, would suffer in this situation. Do you, do you think that they, that they would have that they would have left your family alone? 
Do you... Uh, no, because family is family. At that time, it was, uh, I would say, more, uh, regime was more vegetarian, I would say. Yeah. They, they wouldn't kill my kids. Okay. Uh, nowadays, I mean, just maybe wouldn't jail, but nowadays, who knows, maybe it would be something completely different. You, you wrote in your book about being contacted in the United States by someone you worked with. Were you ever worried about were you ever worried about them, the KGB or the FSB, making an example of you while in the United States? Like, okay, you got there, but to deter future defectors, do we go kill him? Uh, uh, I will tell you about some other story. Okay. 2006. Okay. Maybe people at uh, the Princeton University remember my talk at Princeton. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was talking about some things related to biodefense and just what kind of defense we need to develop in order to be strong in terms of saving as many as possible lives, after finishing the talk, I noticed one young guy, when I was leaving, he came over and said, okay, uh, please keep in mind, we already told you that uh, the more you talk, uh, the fewer chances you have just to stay alive. It was 2006. I said, okay, we'll see. <laughs> and you know, this was just to me, it was kind of shocking for okay, the guy who uh, participated in the talk at, the, at Princeton, listening to, uh, I mean, amongst others, and just said, and came and actually openly said, okay, you have a chance to be killed. I, there's nothing in my life that I can even relate to that with. It's... The current situation, it seems to me quite obvious. I mean, just uh, at that time, I thought maybe it was a joke, kind of, I mean, strange joke. Uh, but I knew, uh, I mean, KGB would never joke. I mean, just because that's, yeah. if they say, it's a kind of last, I would say, warning of mm -hmm. okay. You stay alive until we want uh, you to, to be alive or until uh, we don't want you to be dead. Have, have you ever heard of, um, of Gerald Bull? No. He was a, um, he was an artillery expert. He worked for the United, he's from Canada. He worked for the United States and I want to say the seventies and eighties. Uh, developing these huge guns. They wanted to find a way if they could shoot satellites into orbit from an artillery, crazy stuff. And um, But his specialty was in not necessarily designing new weapons because if you're given enough research and development money, you can probably design anything. His specialty was in taking old artillery barrels and turning them into new weapons. To the United States, there's really not a lot of value to that. To a dictatorship that maybe doesn't have the newest weapons, there's a lot of value in that. Well, he was contacted by none other but the regime of Saddam Hussein, and they wanted him to build uh, two guns, one pointing east and one pointing west. And they wanted to be able to, Saddam wanted to be able to attack anyone within like a thousand miles, including Israel, or maybe 2,000 miles. He didn't, Gerald Bull said, yeah, okay, I want to build my gun. And he went over there 
And so the Mossad was surveilling him. And the Mossad contacted him back in Canada. You know, he was walking along on a road, maybe going for an evening walk. Van pulled up, opened the door, threw him in. And they went and brought him to a little office somewhere. I think Toronto, maybe. And they sat him down, said who they are, showed him pictures. We know what you're working on. You're a direct threat to the state of Israel, to the nation state of Israel. Stop working on this now. First and final warning, stop working on this now. He kind of smiled and said, you know, good day. And he left. He walked home to his apartment, never made it to his room. Shot in the hallway, eight times, silenced pistol. So to me, there is a very real precedent of an intelligence agency or a paramilitary arm of an intelligence agency sitting someone down and saying like, hey, don't do it. And they'll take them out. And to me, that is, man, I'm, I'm, are you worried about being on my podcast? No, uh, even, even I look young. I'm 70 years old. Yeah. 70, you do 70. not look 70. I, I know this. It's everybody says. <laughs> I still know that. You look, some, you look good. Young, yeah, some young ladies. <laughs> you look good. Uh, but, uh, you know, when uh, we think about this, you know, the difference between me and that guy, because I'm not working yes. on developing weapons. Yes. I'm not helping anybody uh, just to uh, tell about principles of uh, fermentation of highly pathogenic agents. I'm not talking about downstreaming processes. I'm not talking about uh, drying. I'm not talking about how uh, they can be weaponized. And all the things, for example, which would relate to biological weapons, let me say just I'm analyzing and uh, working on designing my defense. Mm -hmm. That's what I've done, uh, because understanding of weapons actually is uh, an absolute kind of absolute important thing is to, uh, to develop a reliable by defense. Mm -hmm. This is from this point. In this case, if somebody doesn't want the United States to have a reliable by defense, maybe they would kill me. But sure. in this particular case, it's, uh, you know, I'm not a threat to anybody. Sure. I'm just, Sure. Uh, this maybe this is a difference. Yeah. 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 No, that was. Uh, I, I realized in hindsight that wasn't the best analogy to draw. Gerald Bull was actively acting on a web, building mm -hmm. a weapon system, whereas you are you're finished with that and you have been for thirty years. That's a different. I guess I was trying to draw the analogy between yeah. someone coming up and verbally saying, "Hey, stop," and they will do it. It's mm -hmm. um, that's yeah, that's a very important distinction. Is you just shed light, shedded light on it. I think it's fascinating about how how we can we as humans can be susceptible to our own uh, our own nations, our, our homeland, um, any sort of propaganda or or official stance about as you said as you said in your book as well that the United States is developing this. You, we have to do it as well, which. I mean, I completely, I completely understand. I mean, that's how things are justified. You know, Harry S. Truman, none of the sci the scientists that built the atomic bomb didn't want to build the hydrogen bomb, but they sat down with Truman. David Lilienthal, the head of the AEC, sat down with Harry Truman. The length of their meeting was seven minutes. He came in, 
They said, why should we not build it? They said, it's 1,000 times stronger than the bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima. Harry Truman said, can the Soviets build it? And they said, yes. And Harry said, we'll go ahead, build it. So we have that, 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 uh, that precedent in the United States. And I can say that as an American, we don't want a hydrogen bomb, but if the Soviets have it, we have to build one. And the reality the Soviets were five years behind. I mean, it makes sense. They they finally built it. Yeah, they Uh, did. They did. In 1956, it it seems to me it was 1956, they tested 50 50, uh, megaton Mm -hmm. hydrogen bomb. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, they they did build it. But the the precedent was was they're going to, so we have to. It's an evil thing. That's what uh, I think Enrico Fermi used to call it. He said, it's an evil thing, the hydrogen bomb. It's too big. But, you know, the Soviets detonated Joe 1 in 1949, and America said, oh, we got to top them. So you can see, I mean, we brought back scientists in Operation Paperclip. Everyone knows about those for the rocket program, but we also brought back biological scientists and chemical scientists. I think it was, 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 Tabin, Tabin nerve gas. Was that the right word? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah. And we stockpiled like millions of tons of it. And the only reason we stopped is because someone discovered sarin gas and we started doing that. And then we stopped because someone discovered VX. We were doing all of this too because, I mean, that's why we brought back the, the physicians from Unit 731 in Japan. We have to have this information so the Soviets don't. So you can see where that has happened here, where maybe they weren't doing a program, maybe they were, but you can see that sort of, that those blinder vision, you got to do it, you got to do it, because if you don't, they are. Well, if we keep playing that game, we're all going to keep developing these weapons because the ends justify the means. But like yourself, you eventually saw, you were like, hold on, hold on, they're not developing this. And that's what you saw. Yeah, but at the same time, it was uh, in 1992. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as I know, I, I don't watch uh, TV uh, neither. I mean, uh, either uh, Russian or American, because I'm always doing some some work. But a couple of times I heard about some uh, talks, and when in Russia some people say, okay, we need to continue developing biological weapons because uh, Americans built a number of uh, facilities, biological facilities, uh, around uh, uh, our borders. Yeah. Yes, in order to develop biological, uh, I mean, uh, biological we- uh, weapons, or to collect some samples yeah. of, of biological material in order to find some weapon against Russians. I said, okay, it's a level of stupidity of the people who are talking about this. It's just unbelievable. Who would do? Biological weapon development just next to the border of the Soviet Union. I mean, Russia. Yeah. You know, it's level is, I mean, in this case, because it's a propaganda, let me say, just it's a, a, somebody's coming for you to Putin saying, okay, we know there are five or seven facilities. One is in Kazakhstan, another one in Ukraine, and just all biological, this, uh, collect samples of uh, Russian genes, and, and they're planning to develop biological weapons against us. And this is what's happening now. I mean, and when 
an idea was just to, to build something of this type, reference labs. I said, guys, don't do this because Russia would use it uh, as a propaganda against the United States. Yeah, yeah. They didn't listen to it. And now we have what we have. It's a problem. Oh, no. And it's, yeah, it, that's kind of an endless justification, right? It's, yeah. Who, who was you it? They said, okay, why shouldn't we develop something of this type if we see uh, five, seven, eight facilities uh, very next to our, our borders. Yeah. Even though some, uh, people know they are not biological weapons facilities, reference facilities, it's something different. Yeah. And uh, uh, people who are working there are locals. Yeah. But in any case, for propaganda purposes, let me say it works perfectly well. Yeah. No, no, it works beautifully well. To me, that's, that's the terror of biological weapons is, is you know, Sure, global thermonuclear war is horrifying, right? Everyone dead, thermonuclear winter, radiated wastelands. It, it, it's terrible. But in a in a weird way, it could almost be curbed, right? If there was an accidental launch, you might have a tit for tat, but they could, theoretically, they could turn it off before it escalated to an all-out war of attrition. Nobody survives. The Earth is uninhabitable. Man, with a bioweapon, you can't you can't turn it off. It it's you know, we have COVID right now, but there's a high survival rate. If you were mixing Ebola or Marburg with smallpox and influenza, if that got out, I mean that's just gonna propagate within each human body. That's the end of life as we know it. But you know what's interesting with uh, it's great you uh, you to, uh, told about COVID nineteen. It's interesting uh, COVID nineteen. It's to, to me it's absolutely uh, natural natural from standpoint. Nobody wanted to release it uh, on purpose. Whether it was released from a lab, let me say in Wuhan, let me say, or it was uh, market. Of course, uh, there is some suspicion it was actually the strain accidentally. I mean, released from the lab, but uh, this is no more than uh, our assumption. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can uh, take a look and see uh, that biological weapons, they are, I would say, tunable weapons. Uh, they can tune them, let me say, making them, let me say, absolutely horrible, let me say, with a huge number of deaths. Okay. And uh, killing millions within days and creating a huge chaos and you can have something like COVID and people say okay uh, 3% is it big or small? No guys it's it's very big it's really big from a different point you know just even a mortality rate 3% in many cases it depends not on the mortality rate it depends how many people are infected yeah. how many people are diseased and how many of them would get into a severe state and how many of them would die. And it would depend on some characteristics of the, uh, of the pathogen, in this case, uh, the virus. And you know, the virus, let me say, is having, let me say, very high reproduction, uh, reproduction rate, or we call it cont uh, contagious index. You know, just, if you take a look, we do everything possible. We have masks, we do, uh, we have social distancing, let me say, just we try to develop vaccines. And even with vaccines, we see and we discuss whether the virus 
would mutate such a way that, for example, we'll start getting uh, a new COVID. I mean, already different. In this case, you can imagine, uh, we have a, a little bit more than a year. Uh, on January the 30th, uh, I was interviewed by Fox News. And they asked me about that epidemic. At that time, uh, it was known that it was still within China, maybe just one or two cases uh, outside. And they asked me about what it would be. I said, guys, it's it's already an epidemic, and a very big epidemic. By then, we had just 170 or 200 uh, people dead. And all people were in China. And when they asked a question about what's going to happen, I said, okay, uh, you know, I knew at that time we are in trouble already. And I said, you know, I, even I cannot say, okay, guys, we should expect hundreds of thousands of dead people because I saw the pattern. It's my, uh, my threat by defense uh, experience was saying, okay, okay, we need to do something. And I said, uh, it will start getting worse. Uh, it would be better before we'll go through all this and just uh, seeing some uh, bad situations. And this is actually uh, what happened. And one of the biggest things in this case, you notice our understanding of uh, by threat is a natural or, or man-made uh, has been completely lost. And, you know, because people who worked at least in the field of biodefense, because the, the program was terminated in, in the 70s, we lost people who understand epidemiology, uh, epidemiology of uh, biological aerosol. Uh, we lost uh, a knowledge how, uh, I mean, uh, the virus, a virus or a bacteria would be uh, transmitted. And in this case, a simple thing. Uh, when I had a talk, few days ago to some uh, to some scientists. I said, guys, pay attention. We say about smallpox. We say about some other weapons. Uh, the contagiousness index for smallpox was uh, 0.95. It means, let me say, uh, the epidemic would continue for a long time, but finally, let me say, it would come to a closure. With COVID-19, we have no less than 2.5. It means whatever we do at this point, let me say, just one person would be infected, at least 2.5 new people. According to some publications, it's, uh, it's, uh, this rate is up to six. It means, for example, comparing to this, whatever we do at this point, hopefully this vaccination uh, is going to help. But at this point, whatever we do, uh, let me say, we are having them see, new, new cases. I was absolutely convinced that uh, by Initially, by uh, by May of 2020, it would start getting down. It didn't happen. Then I thought, okay, okay because maybe it, uh, the virus likes for say hot weather, and just maybe when it starts getting cool, we say it's, uh, it stops. Not no. And that's what we see because this virus is not following a kind of traditional pattern of uh, viral infections. It's completely different. I mean, uh, the epidemic doesn't depend on temperature, it doesn't depend on uh, uh, time of the year, uh, uh, humidity level, and so on and so forth. Let me say, it's just developing, and in many cases, we have no idea why. 
because because there was a kind of general idea that people who live, let me say, uh, in the area of I mean, India uh, or some something to the south, because of high insulation, and we knew that vitamin D level would be kind of protective. I mean, high level, and that's what initially uh, looked this way. I mean, this, we had many cases in the United States, let me say, in Canada, Great Britain, Italy, and so on and so forth. But not many cases in the South. And suddenly, especially just in India, nothing was happening after May or uh, June of 20, uh, 2020. And then the pattern was kind of uh, slow, let me say, not a big number of cases. And suddenly we see a kind of explosion. And at this point, we cannot say what actually is happening. Whether we will see the virus is finding the senior receptor, we say, or something is changing with the virus. And this is what, what we observe at this point. And we don't know whether uh, our vaccines will be protective. Definitely, they will protect up to a certain point. But you notice, we always need to remember uh, that, for example, at some point, when we were developing uh, a vaccine against flu, we thought, okay, this vaccine would be really helpful to protect people from, from this infection. And according to some scientific publications, I mean, just to be absolutely truthful, uh, protection rate is about 4%. Four. Four? Four. This is, uh, this is what, uh, and I'm not, I mean, creating the story, let me say it's a scientific publication. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is one more thing we, we definitely didn't say, uh, but maybe severity of infection in, uh, when people are vaccinated, wouldn't be so uh, so high. But in any case, uh, for flu, uh, there is no, I mean, a vaccine we can uh, we can rely on. The question is, okay, guys, can we rely on card vaccines? We hope they would work. But what we lost in, a, in a, because it's by defense, I mean, uh, knowledge established already in the fifties in some forms. Uh, scientists had some knowledge of uh, how to, I mean, analyze a possible threat. What needs to, uh, what would need to be done, let me say, to reduce a number of casualties? Not just masks. Not just because masks uh, were, uh, people knew about masks 500 years ago. Yeah. Uh, people knew about social distancing uh, 700 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we knew about vaccinations 200 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we had masks and social distancing in, uh, during the Spanish, Spanish, uh, Spanish flu. Uh, just it was required, it was required to have social distancing and masks, but we had 50 million people dead. Yeah. Okay. In this case, should we wait for this number of people being, uh, uh to be dead? Because uh, for scientists, it's known that there are some other ways to protect. And this is what we need to do, because this is by defense. It's by defense should work nowadays, you can see, to develop some, uh, some scientifically proven methods. And they are known. This is, to me, it's so strange. They are known. The first study just to protect against viral infections was done here in the United States in 1983 with great results. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, then uh, in just uh, I'm assuming this uh, science uh, they're not alive 
group, but it's possible to find these publications. They, what they did, they used just uh, uh, some uh, recently discovered at that time interferon, and they developed internasal, uh, I mean, application, and they had great protection against a number of different viruses. And then it was done in Australia, supporting, I mean, getting the same results. And it was done so in many other countries. This study was actually proven last year in Great Britain. I mean, this, uh, they used, let me say, a little bit different approach. But this is no, I mean, there is no necessity to develop something new. Say this, uh, I mean, substance is uh, manufactured by a big number of companies here in the United States. Okay, guys, go ahead and let me say, just make it internasal, period. Uh, and using this, of course, so even just uh, in December of uh, 2020, I published an article. Uh, there is a journal, uh, Research Ideas and Outcomes. And the name, the name of the article was Ahead of a Vaccine. And uh, second uh, title was uh, A Safe and Effective Method of pro uh, Protection Against COVID-19 Exists. It was published in December. I tried, let me say, to send op-eds, let me say, to all big newspapers. No, no, nobody, nobody published. Uh, I talked to uh, three radio shows in March, first of all, in March. And I said, guys, the method uh, med exists. Okay, guys, let's use it. You, you know, just in this case, what, what's the problem? Because it's, it's not a situation when you develop something new. It's cheap, it's reliable, it has been tested, it has been, I mean, uh, uh, it, it showed, let me say, high efficacy, it showed absolute safety, absolute safety. And now with publication, for example, if FDA starts like, collecting all these publications, they would find at least 20, 30 publications using, uh, I mean, from different countries. Just use it, guys. In this case, I mean, this, this is a little bit strange to me. I mean, just uh, people talk about this. I mean, just some government officials uh, talk about uh, uh, what they do, how to protect. I mean, just, and this is so strange to me. Can you imagine? I mean, because, because one more thing, maybe last point, just to, okay. to finish this uh, statement. You know, just because using masks is social distancing. We are protecting against uh, droplet infections when somebody is sneezing, coughing, and this type of things. But people, for some reason, I have no idea why. So suddenly, I saw just maybe a week or two, week, uh, two weeks ago, there was an article published actually supporting this. We said many, many years ago, guys, droplet infection is not the case. We need to protect ourselves against aerosol infection. Aerosol, let me say, it's a particle. Mm -hmm which is a result, let me say, of a previous uh, uh, droplet. Because when somebody is sneezing, for example, uh, this uh, bigger particle, let me say, is getting operated, let me say, become a small one, two micron, or even smaller size, let me say, and stays in the air, let me say, for hours. Okay. When somebody is coming, let me say, to a certain space, uh, being absolutely sure that nobody's around, and, uh, takes off a mask, Say, gets his or her infection and goes away. 
In this case, it's it's hard to say, uh, but in our population, it was just when we talk about this, a big number of people who didn't infected uh, during the epidemic uh, would get infected uh, by aerosols, not by droplets. And the range, I mean, the kind of uh, I would say ratio between aerosol infections and droplet infections would be maybe uh, eight to two or nine to one. In this case, I mean, focusing, for example, on some disinfecting measures, kind of uh, current infection, would give us much better results than wearing masks, for example, which actually are not protective in many situations. This is the case. I'm not saying we shouldn't wear masks, sure. but you know, but you know, you can imagine in this case. I'm just, we just, in my opinion, made let me say some companies very rich. I mean, just yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's follow the money, you know. Yeah. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? And it's lots of money. It's no, but but you know, it's interesting from this point. Uh, I wouldn't blame anybody saying okay, somebody did it on purpose. Uh, in my opinion, it's a matter of lost expertise and lost knowledge. And this expertise is not uh, the expertise of these current people. Because at the time when this knowledge existed, maybe they were not even born. Because we're talking about studies done in Great Britain, in the United States, uh, in, the, in the Soviet Union, in the 50s and 60s. The studies showing, let me say, just what kind of infection would be more dangerous from the standpoint of uh, contagiousness index, let me say, uh, particle size, uh, number of particles, and so on and so forth. Because we, for example, the, those scientists, they gave us some knowledge, for example, for some infections, one particle is sufficient to, to cause infection, one viral particle. Uh, then uh, it was studied down, for example, how uh, infections would depend on, on the size of the particle. And people say, okay, okay, droplet, but droplet is the size of uh, 10, 15 micron size, average-wise, okay? And what happens to this particle? It gets, let me say, into nostrils, let me say, and stop, I mean, uh, and traveling there. From this point, I mean, just to protect against droplet infections, you know, the easiest way, okay, just to put some ointment, uh, into the nose, let me say, and at least the probability of getting infected is already reduced. Uh, because it's a, it's a, bi a biomechanical barrier. I mean, and especially if, if it's, uh, uh, something, for example, capable of killing the virus, so, okay, a number of people who are uh, infected would reduce. I mean, depending, let me say, a particular situation, but, but if we go down along with the, respira uh, the respiratory tract, for example, we can see what kind of protection we can develop for each level of uh, uh, the system. I mean, breathing system. This is the case. I mean, in this case, and it's, it's not because people just don't pay attention. There is innate immunity and there is adaptive immunity. Innate immunity doesn't care what kind of virus or bacterium is getting into the body. They are, I mean, they are fighting any virus. Mm -hmm. in, in this case, I mean, some people say, okay, why uh, young people wouldn't get infected? Because they have, let me say, a more powerful immune system. They have a faster response, let me say, to uh, the invader. And uh, the virus is being killed, let me say, at early stage of 
invasion, I mean, the immune system is acting very fast, it's producing some, uh, some mediators of immune response, specifically it's, we call them interferons. And the, vi uh, the virus is killed. Why, for example, older people get infected, diseased, and uh, die in bigger numbers? Because uh, the immune system, let me say, is not so sophisticated. Because it's getting old. We call this immunosenescence. And in this case, just using this type of application, okay, uh, we are saving lives. And of course, I'm not saying it's so easy, of course, it should be tested. Uh, but this type of test shouldn't take more than a month. And another thing, I mean, just one more. No, uh, keep going. And, uh, can you imagine this? I mean, just we say from the beginning, uh, people having cancer, uh, obese people, uh, cardiovascular diseases, uh, diabetes, and a number of other chronic conditions, uh, they have I mean, a probability to get infected, uh, develop a kind of severe form, let me say, and die. Uh, I mean, probability is much higher. But why nobody paid attention, let me say, uh, all these conditions are having one underlying state. This is a chronic inflammation. Okay. Chronic systemic low-grade inflammation actually is already proven uh, make the body more vulnerable to infections. In this case, a simple thing, let me say, just to diet in some uh, uh, supplements, let me say, some uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. It's a pre-exposure prophylaxis. We divide, we divide defense uh, by defense into three major fields. I mean, uh, first, early pre-exposure, then pre-exposure, then post-exposure, and treatment. And early pre-exposure, let me say, to create, let me say, condition uh, for a certain person to be better prepared, I mean, just using different methods. Especially just uh, now we're using vaccinations, but before we started vaccinations, we already lost 3.5 million uh, people, uh, lives, and we'll be losing more and more. But in this case, to rely on vaccination as a defense against the, uh, I mean, new emerging infection, let me say, it's, it, it was already told. It's interesting, it was already told about 20 years ago. We had a situation, we had a program. And DARPA was actually leading the program, uh, which uh, had the name Non-Conventional or Unconventional Pathogen Countermeasures. It was a great program. Uh, about uh, 2022 companies and institutions, they got uh, grants, let me say, just for. But then, uh, first uh, SARS uh, ended and everybody lost interest, let me say, and the program was stopped. I mean, uh, nobody wanted. And for pharmaceutical companies, it's not the case. Nobody cares about a uh, kind of uh, possible future yeah. threat. Here and now. Just because we need money now. Yes. That's what, not, not for something, because if the, government, if the government is not interested, who would care about developing something yeah. this time? And this actually now we're getting uh, I mean, because so many scientists, yeah, I do remember articles published 
took uh, uh, 2004, 2005, 2006, even <laughs> I put some small contribution. And we, we said, okay, guys, time is coming. Time is coming, we'll be seeing. And uh, the second, I would say, a signal came in uh, 2012, when MERS mm-hmm. appeared. And just, even just when I talked about saying, okay, okay uh, coronavirus will be coming back. And I say, uh, was saying, okay, most likely it will be a big pandemic, epidemic. I was told, okay, yeah, you were right, it was coming back, but, but it's, it's not a pandemic. And people forgot all the stuff. Unfortunately, I mean, it's, I would be much happier if I was wrong. Or some people who had some warning were wrong. But you know what? It can be because we had so many signs that something is coming. Uh, I mean, this, uh, we had, many people don't remember, but we had over a period of 20 years, we had uh, swine flu, we had bird flu, we had uh, Vesna, we had Zika, and from different directions we're getting new viruses. It means the situation is changing because this is, uh, I mean, the science of epidemiology to understand, okay, how, let me say, uh, a pattern of new infections, we say, is changing, what we should expect, what we should predict, because this, there is a science which is called uh, epi, uh, epidemiologic prognosis. It says, okay, by analyzing different patterns, uh, I mean, places of appearance, I mean, just uh, digging deep, of course, you can predict uh, what could have come, I mean, just uh, this, uh, this, this is, uh, it has not been done, uh, unfortunately. You know, it's not a matter of blaming the United States. No, because the United States, we, we're sitting here in the United States. But so many other countries, I mean, just who saw the same things. China, India, France, I mean, just Great Britain, uh, I mean, Brazil. Many infections were coming from, from different places. Uh, a new epidemic starts, then, say, then goes down, and say, nobody cares any longer. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's what we have. In this case, I would put maybe in different contexts. You know, just we are developing new weapons, correct? I mean, we are trying to uh, protect ourselves from Russian threat, from Chinese threat. I mean, just Israel tries to protect against Arabian threat and vice versa and these type of things. But you know, just and spending not billions and hundreds of billions of dollars. But if we take pay attention how much we are spending now to protect against future epidemics, it's it's the same level of threat, even just a more real threat. We cannot imagine somebody Russian, for example, whatever they say, they will start attacking us using uh, uh, hypersound or yeah. supersonic. I mean, missiles. But uh, this particular pandemic shows that we have a real threat. I mean, the threat actually is taking uh, a lot of lives, let me say, disrupts our economy, let me say, and creates, let me say, huge problems. Uh, And in many cases, for some countries, the level of uh, destruction is comparable or even higher in case of some war. Yeah. And we don't have, let me say, any system, any command, let me say, any uh, protective things, let me say, any plans, any, I mean, 
uh, stockpiles and nothing. And it's, it's time to think about uh, uh, a special command, a medical command, anti-epidemic command, creating new forces, anti-epidemic forces. And they need to be trained, let me say, how to react to uh, new infections. We need to develop a system of, I mean, communication. I mean, how, for example, people, when they see some new infection, a Chinese case, let me say, is very, very interesting from this point. They already knew about uh, the situation at the end of December. Uh, some scientists, uh, physicians, Chinese scientists, were trying to say, okay, guys, we have a problem. Mm. Uh, they were jailed. And then uh, they decided they decided to uh, to say about this on January the 9th. Okay, guys, uh, from that moment when they knew about this, uh, actually, when you analyze it, they knew something about this in, in the mid, mid, mid-December. Okay, this time is lost. I mean, this is from single cases uh, by January 1st. Officially, it was about 300 or something cases by January 1st. But keep in mind how much this information was not, uh, I mean, uh, still not open. I mean, just, you, you can imagine that real number definitely. If you take a look at the pattern of epidemic in China, you would be just in shock because it's uh, kind of two, two, two adjustments. I mean, this, this is something very interesting. But okay, let's imagine, I mean, it was kind of on a local level and the central government didn't know it. Okay, let's imagine the thing. And they, I mean, declared, I mean, they informed that the new virus, new coronavirus, let me say, is highly contagious just on January the 9th. But you can imagine that it's a country which is saying this on the 9th and establishing uh, establishes uh, new quarantine measures on the 23rd. Two weeks, two weeks when the virus was limitless everywhere in the world. And WHO at this point, I'm not blaming anybody, it's, it's just epidemiology. It's, 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 they say, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's concerning, yeah, uh, but we know the government of China is doing all things, let me say, just to, to protect. Uh, but and they say there is no necessity to stop flights from China. Okay, guys, it's it's already outside. It's highly contagious, like you say. It's uh, and you say okay, no, because it should be a national emergency. All borders should be, uh, I mean, uh, closed. Like you say, just all things should be, uh, I mean, focused on. Uh, on eliminating this epidemic. But you know, it looks this way. Okay, okay, okay let's... Uh, some people leave to start new fungi of infection in many other countries and contain our epidemic. Okay, it looks this way. Exactly, not different way. This, uh, this, and why I'm saying about this? Because it's... Uh, I mean, we are training our military, I mean, just to fight different wars, small, big, and so on and so forth. We are not trained, let me say, to fight uh, wars, let me say, with infections, which are actually taking many more lives, let me say, and uh, are creating many more problems to any country in the world. 
sorry for what I No, that was beautiful. That was awesome. It it makes me think of it makes me think of makes me think of two things, what you said about the, the bioweapons defense. It makes me think of the Sputnik moment when the USSR put Sputnik up in space. And if they can put a beeping satellite up, that means they can what? Put They can put up a nuclear bomb. We have Eisenhower who kind of brushes it off. LBJ wants to capitalize on it, says we need to start the space race. And then we also have right when Reagan uh, – Right, not right when he took into office, but I believe the first time he visited NORAD in Cheyenne Mountain, he went in and they were showing uh, what would happen during an all-out nuclear attack and they put up on the screens, they go, oh, these warheads would come over the North Pole, they'd come over the, you know, Reagan's like, okay, okay, how do we stop it? And they look at him and they go, we can't, we'll get you and your family to this bunker, but everyone in the United States is going to die. And Reagan couldn't, he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that despite all of our efforts and despite the mighty United States, we had nothing in place to actually stop. The only thing we used to stop was deterrence, mutually assured destruction. If you pull the trigger, I pull the trigger, but no actual mechanism to stop it, which is why he brought up SDI, the Strategic Defense Initiative. He wanted to build a whole program. It makes me think that that's what we have, right? We have aircraft carriers, we have fighter jets, hypersonic missiles, satellites, but nothing to stop a bioweapon attack. Well, uh, you know, even not just bioweapons. I mean, uh, because uh, nowadays uh, it's hard for me to imagine, for example, either China or Russia would attack the United States using biological weapons. Uh, but uh, some natural infections, I mean, uh, natural epidemics, sure. they are resembling uh, a biological attacks in many ways. Sure. That, that's what I meant. It, not necessarily yeah. a bioweapon. It might be natural. Yeah. But uh, there's another point. You know, it may, maybe uh, we need to pay attention to, or, to a very important point. People uh, didn't pay attention. When the epidemic started, it looks like people forgotten that one of the aircraft carriers, let me say, just uh-huh. uh, became, let me say, uh, non-functional because of COVID. Yep. Guys, yeah. uh, you, you cannot fight because, because you just you have 400 infected people. Just think about it. Yeah, they, they brought the carrier uh, back to port. They couldn't use it. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, just, as, soon as, uh, as soon as we have this situation, let me say, it's, it's, it's a matter of incapacitation. In this case, but at the same time, uh, anti-epidemic defense uh, wouldn't take uh, such a huge amount of money. It should, should be a different approach, but it's it's a real and pre- present danger. And that's what we need to think completely different way, uh, because we need to have not just uh, African command or uh, European command or whatever, I and mean, it's okay, guys. We need to have a biological defense command. I mean, uh, and this is not just a theoretical thing, let me say, just uh, because uh, this type of science is, you know, just uh, there is a very interesting, uh, I mean, uh, term now, nowadays. Uh, we call it uh, convergent, convergent science. Mm-hmm. Converting science, you know, just now it's, it's a new term. We say it's when, for example, we collect information from different 
sciences and technologies, for example, and creating a new, new knowledge, new expertise, let me say, new technology, new products. And this is uh, exactly the case. Uh, because uh, this type of things would require knowledge of bioinformaticians, knowledge of computer science, knowledge of, uh, I mean, infectious disease scientists, uh, epidemiologists, I mean, just uh, immunologists, and many, many other things. I mean, and even more, this is just kind of science. But logically, I mean, just if there is uh, epidemic, there is a principle how to, uh, I mean, to what, what kind of prognostic methods we need to have just how it would be developing. Uh, we need to know, for example, what kind of defense would be, uh, I mean, more, I would say, appropriate at this stage when we have no vaccine. And then uh, how to design and establish so-called first responders, let me say, or uh, fast deployable uh, hospitals. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to take uh, infected people to regular hospitals and to start infecting uh, infecting medical personnel. Yeah. It should be a completely different system. It should be a system of uh, uh, mobile, let me say, uh, deployable hospitals. And we know about this and we know how to develop them. Just because this type of hospital within a day can, can be deployed, let me say, and start working, let me say, at any uh, 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 parking lot. Yeah. yeah. In this case, yeah. in this case, okay, guys, it's a system. It's a system which would require organizational, engineering, technical, medical, I mean, all things should, should be, it should be a real command, and this command should, should, should be responsible for all things like this. Well, it, sh it should be like, let's use the army, right? When we have a when we have a specific threat that we can't drop a bomb on, we go, we put in Delta Force or the Navy SEALs, right? Think of right after 9-11, we go into Afghanistan, the first people in CIA Special Activity Division. About a month later, we send in Delta Force and the Navy SEALs. About a month after that, we start sending in troops, they start building bases, you set up supply lines, and you start, like you said, the, theor or the, the proverbial parking lot. We went and set up bases in the middle of the desert. And we know the United States is we are able to do that in the middle of Siberia or the middle of the desert. We can go to the South Pole. We can the United States has that. It's a system. We don't know where and when and where the threat is going to pop up. But we are we have divisions that are trained to fight in the mountains in case a battle starts in the mountains. So what you're saying is, is you'd have your first responders, your sort of special forces, and then you'd have a, an amplifying force where it would be no different than the Navy or the Air Force or the Army or the Marines, but it would be a, it would kind of like Space Force is new. We need a biological, we need a biology force. We need something, is that, am I somewhat getting what you're saying? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it shouldn't be because in many cases we say civil defense. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't be civil defense. No. It should be our military Department defense. of Defense. Yeah, it's, it should be Department of Defense. I mean, maybe the special directorate or special uh, department which is responsible. It's a real war. Mm -hmm. The difference is, let me say, the enemy is different, but it's war because uh, uh, and it takes lives. Let me say, it uh, destroys uh, uh, economy. Let mm -hmm. me say, it destroys vital activities, and in uh, in many instances, let me say, it's much worse. Uh, the kind of local war, for example, we can fight someplace else. Yeah. And it's for this purpose, for example, because it's okay in order to keep uh, some place safe, 
okay, we, we have hundreds of thousands uh, of troops, for example, just spending billions of dollars. Okay, but in this case, to create something of this type, how it's going to work? I mean, whether it's uh, going to be, uh, should be uh, just uh, the United States effort or it should be some uh, kind of Western countries effort I mean, to create joint commands. Because it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, I can give again some small example. Yeah. Okay, we see the first case of a certain infection. Of course, it's, it's a system of first, I mean, information, okay, it should be a command, for example, saying, okay, in this, I mean, small town, we have one case of a strange disease, for example, which by symptoms uh, doesn't look like we see, uh, known to us. Okay, this information should be immediately, and in this case, what would we do? Because it's not a matter of waiting, it's a matter of first response. In this case, in order to, re to respond to the threat, okay, we need to have, let me say, special groups. And this group should include, let me say, I mean, investigators of epidemiological investigators. We need to have people who are able to organize, let me say, just uh, uh, observation, we call observation, just to watch what people are. Uh, then we need to establish uh, uh, contacts of the person who infected with some other people. We need to organize a kind of uh, uh, circular, uh, I mean, defense and just to see, for example, how these people and uh, immunoprophylaxis. If we have a vaccine, if it's non infection, of course, that's uh, vaccination of these people. If we don't have, we need to have non specific uh, things, what we say. This would, things, for example, and each, it's like a military operation. I mean, if you see an enemy someplace and just you suspect it could become, let me say, a big problem to the country or uh, to allies, for example, you need to develop something of this type. Uh, because when a big number of people are coming from one place, for example, just who are already infected, they come, let me say, uh, to different uh, cities of the United States, even cities in Europe, for example, and each person is creating uh, a new focus of infection. In this case, just, and we are sitting and waiting for them and looking what's going to happen. But many things, let me suggest in this case, special truth, let me say, as soon as the information is there, and I know some people would say, okay, maybe at this point, uh, somebody else already infected. Okay, that's fine. In, in this case, you establish the system, uh, and as soon as you identify context or see the new case, you establish a new circle. And this is the way how, how it should work. And in this case, understand for, uh, because, uh, in the military, people know, for example, how to organize this type of work. Mm -hmm. And in this case, uh, I mean, it's uh, not so difficult as it seems, because it's a general principle, and uh, it was quite known. Uh, and now, for example, it was a principle used even not by the military, by civilians, let me say, to contain uh, smallpox uh, epidemic, which existed for centuries and were able, let me say, just to, uh, uh, to terminate this disease. And this, uh, what can we do? Maybe, I mean, at least, for example, we would see some new cases. But, you know, but containing each case, let me say, we are reducing the number of people who are newly infected and be become, uh, become spreaders. In this case, we are reducing by all these actions, let me say, a number of diseases and uh, a number of dead. Uh, this is 
another case. There's many things that we suggest. In this case, it should be somebody who uh, is uh, ready, let me say, just to start working on this and establishing a program and involving not just the United States, maybe some other uh, uh, countries. Because we don't know at this point how long this pandemic will continue. So far, even with vaccination, we see no uh, encouraging news. I mean, this is because even just WHO said, looks like three or four days ago, that the second year of pandemic would be uh, a much more deadly, much deadlier than the first year. It was said officially on Friday, last Friday. It, so this new, this new special department of the defense, it will be headed up by Dr. Ken Alabeck. General Alabeck. Yep, yep. Four stars. No, no, no. To, to me, uh, you know, just I would be happy just uh, to do some consulting. Sure. Uh, even for free. I mean, just because it's, I, I know my company uh, wouldn't be happy just to do that. To me, uh, because what I do, let me say, treating some kids with autism, I mean, just I'm having about 1,000 kids from all over the world. Mm-hmm. In this case, I mean, just because I do this for free. Yeah. Because it's like my medical duty. And just try, let me say, to, uh, I mean, to suppress something I've done many years ago. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Maybe not general, but yeah, I know. I know you published autism papers. You do telemedicine. Can I? Could you and I schedule a second episode to talk about your work on autism? Definitely, would be happy, and not just happy because, you know, uh, I would ask people just to take it seriously. Yeah. I know how to treat autism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me repeat again. I know how to treat autism, and I have great results of treating the kids. Let's do it. I would be in this case. I'm ready to discuss this with anybody in the world. I'm mean, just from all scientists. Discuss it with me. No, I mean just. Uh, I'm ready to uh, to have an argument. I'm ready to talk to people who are running uh, different foundations autism. People who are working on autism. Say at NIH. People are talking about genetics. Uh, you know because because let me say the final word. <laughs> We spend 60, 80 billion dollars each year, I mean, just for autism. You know, to treat a child uh, having autism, it would cost about $200 per month. This is the case. And it's it's topable. And that's, we know, for example, what needs to be done, let me say, to a young lady who are going to get married, because analysis is quite obvious. Mm-hmm. What, how we need to uh, look at uh, a woman who is pregnant now and just what kind of signs would tell in the future why our dear would develop. Let me say, just people, when people say vaccinations or metals, you know, I would explain uh, this. And even more, I mean, just every night, at, uh, starting at 9 o'clock to midnight, I'm uh, doing my consultation, let me say, to parents from all over the world. Same things I'm doing from 8 uh, to 9, again, Saturday, Sunday, early morning to long time. Uh, 8 o'clock at night to midnight on Saturday, same, same on Saturdays. That's why 
it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. That's beautiful. The line, let me say, the line is huge. I mean, just today I got a letter, let me say, from a group of mothers, 198 mothers, I'm begging, let me say, just uh, to accept for treatment. Not for treatment for consulting, because I'm not treating them. I'm saying, okay, you need to do this way. But the biggest problem to me, I mean, just to finish, uh, all my attempts to create groups of physicians, just to train them, you know, they failed because they start listening, uh, I mean, getting information, and in two, three weeks, they're leaving. And I couldn't understand first. And uh, I talked to uh, some very known medical administrator from Metro Health, and he said, Ken, just count how many disciplines a person should know, let me say, to understand autism. And he enumerated the body, I don't remember how many, 14. And it doesn't mean, for example, uh, somebody needs to know them in great detail, but uh, a person should understand, I mean, some specific things which would relate to autism in immunology, in allergology, in genetics, in uh, inflammation and infections and so on and so forth. I mean, just this knowledge, remember what I talked about, uh, uh, Convergent uh, science. Mm-hmm. Exactly the case. Okay. And as soon as people understand this, it messages, it's, uh, uh, everything becomes absolutely obvious and clear. I, I would be honored to do an episode with you to talk mm-hmm. about autism. I would be honored if uh, as many as possible people, physicians, I mean, just uh, 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 medical officials would hear about this. And I'd be absolutely happy uh, to tell because to me, it's not a matter of fame. Yeah, yeah. uh, It's a matter of, uh, because my daughter is autistic. I mean, I spent 12 years trying to understand how to treat her. By the time when I started treating her, she, she became absolutely aggressive. I mean, because it's it's one of the things. I mean, she was I mean diagnosed, let me say, as uh, intellectually disabled with severe disability. Now this disabled girl, let me say, speaks perfect English. I mean, writes stories, uh, studies studies Japanese language by herself, uh, creates some new characters, and I mean just threatening me when. Uh, I have I have no time just to come and she says okay if you don't come uh, uh, you'll have a problem okay and I need to go to Virginia to see her <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> absolutely smart I mean absolutely knowledgeable I mean just uh, I know it's still much work to do yes because, because final uh, final formulation final method actually developed. It's interesting, maybe, what it's important to say is not a treatment of autism. It's a treatment of chronic infection, chronic inflammation. It's treatment of SIBA, SIFO, uh, and physicians know about this I and mean, what it is. And actually, uh, and for all the things, let me say, we have official uh, pathways, medical pathways for treatment. In this case, for physicians, there is no necessity uh, to do any kind of clinical I mean, uh, clinical studies. You know, because everything is already in their hands. They, they need to apply it, period, nothing else. So it's ready to go. Yeah. Well, I will 
I will I will email Teresa and we will set up another meeting and I will we will do that episode and I will do my best to make sure as many people see it as possible. Yeah, I would be absolutely happy to present it in a greater detail yes. and step by step. I mean, it's uh, explaining let me say, what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the, in the nervous system, uh, what kind of uh, diagnostic markers uh, we need to test uh, in addition to the symptoms and signs and, just, and how uh, this condition can be treated using just a few simple medications which existed uh, have been in existence for for decades. No necessity to develop anything zero. I will we will choose a day. I will clear my schedule and we will go we will do an in-depth podcast, no time limit. It'll be the yeah, I would be happy just to prevent I mean of course about autism I can talk for for hours, for days, and because I, explaining absolutely everything. But in this particular case, I can, can go saying, okay, okay, guys, this is a piece. Now you tell me what you, how would you argue that it's not true? This is a key. It's, and now just because, because it's, I, I would love to see a possibility that people would be uh, having counter arguments uh, uh, to what I'm saying. This this uh, the level of discussion we need to have. So first we we'll present it, and then then we can, we can discuss it. I think you should should put together a presentation if you'd like. No, no, I do have it. Okay, well then it's ready to go. I have ten presentations, but all of them because many uh, patients are from uh, former Soviet Union. I mean, it's Russia, Ukraine. I mean, Central Asia countries, and so on and so forth. Of course, I. I can combine, let me say, into one presentation, maybe there's about 40 uh, slides, and we can go from there. Or we can do 10 episodes for 10 presentations. I have... Perfect. Perfect. You, you, my podcast is your platform, Dr. Alabek. When you, you, you want to talk about it, you email me, and it's yours. I'll, if I got somebody scheduled, I'll kick them off. Get out of here. Dr. Alabek's <laughs> coming on. You know, to, to me, it's, uh, uh, again, what I'd like to say... I have no desire in any form just to, to become a person who, who would be considered as the one who solved the problem. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, but uh, to me, uh, seeing all these matters, let me say, the situation is so horrible in the world. I mean, they cry. Some mothers, I mean, just uh, leave kids, let me say, special facilities. Some committed suicides. Yeah. Because it's uh, the level of severity, people live in a different world, they don't see these families, and they are forgotten. And you know, just, this is uh, a thing, just, and that's why when, when I have uh, these groups, I'm saying, okay, just for coordination, I would have just mothers uh, who have autistic kids, because they understand how to help, they understand what other people are going through. It's it's you know I can't speak on autism, but I can speak on depression. Uh, in 2014, my older brother committed suicide, and yeah, it's, but, uh, it's, you know what what is absolutely astonishing? Depression is having the same I mean roots, but lighter. And I can show this. I mean because it's it's not my science. It's interesting from this point. I would say, guys, 
I'm not using my science. My publications are based, let me say, on uh, thousands of publications which were already in place. You know, everything I say would be, or if must be supported by existing publications. Tens of publications, I mean, they are in existence. I mean, just uh, nobody can argue with this. Well, Each word would be supported. Well, let's do it. We'll we'll do the okay. we'll do the Doctor Alabek series. We'll do we'll do ten episodes of Doctor Alabek's presentations. Yeah, you you decide because no, me, we'll do it all. More people know about this because it's so simple. Yes, sir. If I am able to tell physicians, say, okay, guys, and you know, there is nothing. I mean, just maybe at some point we'll talk about this, but maybe for, for us, you cannot develop uh, treatment for autism if. 90% or 95% of scientists working in the field are biologists and physicians. You know, just because you cannot uh, detach, let me say, some mechanisms of uh, disease development from clinical manifestations. It's not just a matter of uh, uh, clinical trials. It's a matter of uh, clinical reasoning. Because it's, uh, you know, just uh, clinical reasoning, like, like Dr. House, of course, it's a little bit simplified, but a general idea, I mean, just uh, a physician must uh, use current knowledge and, I mean, have clinical reasoning, uh, clinical thinking, just to combine, I mean, things from different fields. In this case, you will have biologists, they're great scientists, chemists, I mean, but, but at the same time, they see, let me say, some pattern. But behind the battle, there's an actual challenge. Until next time, that's where we will. Okay. Pick, that's where we will pick up, Doctor okay. Alabek. Thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. It means the world to me. Um, I've read your book. I'll put the for everybody listening. I'll put the book in the description. It's a fantastic book. It's um it's terrifying, but it's. It was beautiful to speak with you. You, you, you have a wonderful soul. I can feel it. It's, it's. You, you got a big smile. You look like you're 40 tops, and uh, you look better than me. I'm 30. I don't know what you're doing, but um, you, you know my position. Just, uh, I'll be ready to die. Uh, by the time I understand that, uh, physicians understand how to treat autism, and let me say it's already on the way. It's all, all right. Well, there, there it is. You heard it here first. I will email mm -hmm. Teresa and we will set it up. As many episodes as you want to do, we will do it. You don't, don't limit it. Let's not it, as much as you want to do. It's all yours. You have my ear. You have my podcast. It is your platform. I think it's a fantastic thing. I think you truly want to. You're taking your Hippocratic oath seriously. You want to help out people. That is your goal on this earth. And um, I would be more than happy and honored to assist you to help you get the message out there. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you, I mean, sir. This is one of the, not one, this is the best interview I've ever given to to anybody in the United States uh, because there was an opportunity to talk, uh, to talk about something that we say really helps to people. I'm not to, I mean, uh, have a kind of threatening situation to everybody, creating kind of doomsday scenarios. Sure. Just because in this case, it's something which uh, people need to know. Yes, sir. Well, I'm mm -hmm. 
I'm I'm honored to hear that. That means the world to me. Making my heart beat. You're making you 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 knock them dead with that smile. You're you're too sweet. Thank you, sir. I will email Teresa. We will do it. I'm so excited for part two and part three and part ten. I'm so excited. You got me excited now. Let me know because we can yes, start. I mean, talk to Teresa and decide. Yeah. I I'm in your disposal. I mean, just yeah. Uh, let's do it. We'll start okay. immediately. We'll start immediately. Let's let's. Okay. Okay. Good. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Doctor Alabek, thank you, sir. What a that was amazing. I'm so I'm about to I'm about to call my friend and tell him I just talked to you. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you. God bless America. God bless this. Is I'm just I'm excited. I'm happy. Thank you, Doctor Alabek. Until next time. It was a great time. Yes, sir. Really uh, happy for our conversation. Yes, sir. I'm so excited. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. You have a wonderful evening. God bless. Bye.